The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and across from me behind the glass is Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. Hello. Yep. Uh, the last time that I heard your rocket sound was actually pretty good, but Ralph did a pretty good rocket sound, too. So I was like, <laughs> Yeah, he did bad. it all rumbly, as I recall. Yeah. Well, and then today, this is a special episode. Uh, we, uh, much like a holiday edition episode, uh, I have been wanting uh, Uncle AJ to come on this show. Uh, we've been talking. He's been listening to the podcast. He's been, um, you know, I sounds like he's been pretty interested. So I've got to my right, Uncle AJ. Hello. And then to my left, my Aunt Joan. She is also here. <laughs> Hello. So, yeah, we had, Andy, if you remember, we had... We were talking, we started getting into race because uh, our shows, we were talking about, you know, like, why in the world would I be talking about like the KKK and the resurrection together? And it's kind of odd. But yeah. uh, I just wanted to to show the point of how in Christianity, um, the resurrection is what sets Christians apart from the other religions. But yet this particular religion has done, they've used the Bible to do inflict a lot of damage across centuries of time. And so... I was trying to show, I wanted to make it relevant, bringing us to the current day. And so with this special episode, it's perfect timing because we've already went through the KKK, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. We've spoke a little bit about Black Lives Matter. And now uh, we're going to talk a little bit about critical race theory. And I wanted to get into uh, slavery and uh, when it started here in America and then sort of bring us to the present. But then having them here... I wanted to talk about my own my own journey, you know, where being raised yeah. in this society and you know having the the family that I have or the school that I had or the community that I was in, and how racism is so systemic and we're not even aware of it. And so, no, it's invisible. It, well, yeah, often. it really is. And I've learned a, a tremendous amount. And but it's like once <laughs> I feel like. Uh, Will Ferrell, Ricky Bobby, you know, like, I, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, I'm just standing around a bunch of people like, uh, I don't know what to do, you know. But um, I, I just want to keep tackling the the subject, you know. It's a tough subject. So, and if you don't mind, I want to play that one we, we decided not to play. We spoke about it in some earlier podcasts that we didn't want to play it because we thought it might be offensive. But I shared it with my family here, my aunt and uncle, and they said that it was cool. And so if anybody's mad, y'all can get mad at them. It ain't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't right. Yeah. So do you mind playing that, Andy? Not at all. I know, sometimes I make comments and I, you know, I don't realize that I'm being so politically incorrect or so wrong about it, but I grew up, you know, in this time, like you guys did, you know, sure. we're in our forties and we came up this, and I, I said at work one time, I said, do you remember when you could smack abroad and it was okay? And they were like, what? Like, you can't say that. And I was like, have you ever watched the movie from the 40s? It's like, woman, you're hysterical. Smack, yeah. smack, smack. You know, it's like, oh, thank you. I was hysterical. Yeah, it's totally. Like, yeah. And then, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you for. <laughs> I mean, it's so sexist and misogynist. It's not even funny. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it is it it's funny for a different reason now. I think that it was sort of intended to be funny then, but yeah, it, and you really want to know the shocking thing for me? I didn't realize how racist I actually was. I was oh, actually yeah. like, wow. Not you specifically. I just I I empathize with that point. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you really You're are like, racist. Man, you were <laughs> out there. No, no, not but at it, all. but not in all reality, like my aunt is married to a black man, and then she and she has mixed children, and she had been married previously and had a white husband and they had a, a white son. And she told me that she has literally raised them differently because of the racism in society. She said that she raised her first son and never told him, Hey, if you get pulled over by a cop, you need to do these specific things so they don't jerk you out of the car and beat you to death. Never came across her mind. Yeah. But then she has these mixed children and she's got a black husband and then suddenly they get pulled over and the father has trained them and said, this is how you speak respectfully. This is where you put your hands. This is how you act. If so you wild. don't, they will kill you. And I was like, what? Like I was shocked by it. And then all of this stuff that's been going around, like I completely empathize. I don't understand it because I'm, I wasn't raised black. I don't know sure, what it's like, absolutely. but it's obvious. And so now it's almost like, the Republicans, of which I am in the camp of, which is, I apologize in advance, everybody, but there's almost like a Jim Crow 2 kind of thing going on right now. And I don't know, it's just very bizarre. I don't know how we got on the subject, but, you know. Well, it, it is one of those things. I mean, I was raised in a all-white little town in, in like, just the pers- the pervasive atmosphere of it. And it's just, like, people are making, like, Racist jokes, but it's just like, it's not even because you're, there's no, where, at least where I'm from, there's no people of any color except white around you. Sure. And so, like, these jokes are just dumb jokes, and it's not like you're thinking about anybody particular would because you don't even know a single black person. Right. It's when you say them, and they're just these, like, weird general straw man jokes that are really about real people, but kind of you're not... Mm-hmm. You don't understand that. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, and it's just it's just pervasive enough and common enough that you just kind of don't give it a second thought until you get somewhere a little broader. Yeah, no which kidding. Which is a terrible thing to say, but it is yeah. like, yeah. Forgive the sad sack humor in this, but just to give you an idea, I had a man ask me one time, he said, what do you call a black man that flies a plane? And I was like, what? Like, that was my <laughs> oh, answer. <yeah. laughs> that was my answer. Yeah, for, and he was like, a pilot? One, a pilot. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. And they're like, a pilot, you racist? Yeah, totally. And I was like, oh. And then we laugh. And then you walk away from it and you're like, why did I say, like, why didn't I answer the question properly? I know the answer. Yeah. Do you well, get it? It's, honestly, that's a trap. It's a trap of framing. When you frame it as a joke, so instantly you're looking for the jag. And so it's, that, is, that is a trap. I blame, I blame Lucifer. I blame Lucy. Yes, that absolutely. falling star. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that that was uh... a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that... it's, it's not terrible radio. Is revealing as it unfortunately is. I know it. As I was sitting here listening to that, I was thinking about whenever uh, when I was young, my dad, and you know, my dad. I would not call him. Like a like a terrible racist, but he absolutely is. Like he he is he is racist by his upbringing. But I remember as a, as a kid, we were playing basketball at my house, and I had some kids over from the school, and one of them uh, I won't say his name, just you know, for just because of 
uh, you know, I don't want to say it without him, you know, without asking his permission, but I had one black kid from the basketball team that was there and we were all playing around. This was at the old house over on uh, Naples Road. And you remember when we poured the slab and we had yeah. the, yeah. So we were playing basketball there and uh, dad walks out of the house and he's like, he goes, hey boy, come here. Well, that's what my dad called me boy. Like that's, my dad called me boy when I was a kid. And so <laughs> the other kid, the black kid, is just like, yes, sir, and starts walking towards me. He's like, I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't mean that, you know. And and when that happened, I just, like, it polarized. Like, I'm talking about it today. Like, I remember it, and I thought, man, I can't imagine. Yeah, that is that is interesting. That, that Why is that a conditioned response? Right. When he probably was looking at you when he said that. Yeah, but, I mean, it was. somehow that's been a conditioned thing. Obviously. I mean, what do you think, AJ? Like, yeah, I've had that. I've been called that quite, quite a few times, actually. Yeah. Have you? Yes. Really? Teachers, <laughs> law enforcement, uh, even uh, bosses, even actually. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's just weird. Yeah. To what age? I guess is the. Age, yeah, definitely older gentlemen. Yeah, older that's, gentlemen. The, that's yes. kind of what I was vibing, yeah. but I just wanted it to be said out loud that it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily when you were all when you were eight, probably. It probably continued into the years where it was weird. I assume. Very much so, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, it, there's really nothing similar to it. Um, I, you know, I was called a hippie once, but that didn't mean, you know, what I mean? it's not, not even the same. Like, there's no conditioning there to that. No, there doesn't, it doesn't have the connotations. No. Uh, well, it does a little bit, but if you don't associate with that group, then it doesn't hit. Right. You know, if, if yeah, if you don't associate with the group, then the insult doesn't land. Right. And I'm going to try to remember this later, but hippies and black people actually have a lot more in common than you realize. And I, which is it's hilarious not even a joke. because hippies all turn into Republican yuppies at some point in their life. <laughs> Eventually. It, it, oh, man. It, it happens to almost all of the well-intentioned ones. They yeah. It's, it's weird. It's, it's pretty odd, but it's, that's actually systemic too. And I'm going to get into that because they have some similarities in the way that our government and its war on drugs and the way that these things worked and the institutionalized you know, incarcerated people and, and how it changed our society. It's pretty fascinating, really. We're going to yeah, get into that. It kind of all goes hand in hand. It yeah. really does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I didn't even realize it. I watched a, a documentary called The 13th about the 13th Amendment, the, uh, you know, abolishing of slavery and the effect uh, that the government had after the abolition of slavery and, and Jim Crow laws and all the way up to the present. And it's shocking. I, I had no clue how conditioned we were just by media, just by media itself and how we're taught. And then also how we're taught in the education system, the way things are, are set up. It's it's pretty crazy. It was kind of like they intended it that way, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. No, it was definitely planned. I have a really – I've got a crazy quote. I was going to read it later, but since you just said that, I'm going to go ahead and read it now. All right. So this is from – I didn't put this in the notes. Okay, so this is kind of shocking. So we all know Nixon, President Nixon is the one who actually coined the phrase war on drugs. It wasn't it, Nixon. It was Nixon. I thought it, I thought it was Reagan. Yeah, Me too, yeah. But it wasn't. It was actually Nixon. And AJ, you might want to eat that mic a little bit more. Yeah, just just there yeah, you there go. You yeah, go. just a little bit closer. Yeah. Um we definitely want to be able to hear you, but so this is the uh Nixon advisor and his name is John Ehrlichman. If you've never heard of him, look him up. But this is a quote. The Nixon campaign in 1968 in the Nixon White House after that, had two enemies, the anti-war left 
and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Who is this again? John Ehrlichman, a Nixon advisor. Okay. I mean, we're talking about the Nixon White House here. Yeah, he's apparently kind of a bastard on a lot of levels. Oh, he's a bastard everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) When he says, I'm not a crook, it's like, man, really? Like, that guy was the worst. But- Anyway, so Joan, I said in that quote, or I said in that earlier uh, bit that you would explain the differences, you know, do you feel like, is it very noticeable for you? It is noticeable um, now. I mean, you know, with, with Travis, it was just normal or whatever. Um, it mainly started not with the biracial children, our children, but with with the older ones, his kids, you know, and I didn't ever, I never thought about it mm-hmm. until we started talking about it, and and he brought it to my attention. You know, you have to do things differently with these boys, you know, because people look at them differently, and it's absolutely true. I mean, it's it's a it's night and day right. compared to, you know. Well, even with the younger ones, it's kind of different because they are biracial, so kind of people look at them a little different than they do the older ones, too, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense There's a to whole you. different thing going on there. Yeah, because they just, I don't know. They kind of, to me, they catch it, the mixed kids, they catch it from both sides. Yeah. If you they don't I mean. fit in yeah. either mm-hmm. way. You know what I'm saying? If that makes sense. Before you guys got together, now this is this sounds racist, I'm sorry, but before you got together, did anybody say to you it's going to be harder for the children? My granny. Granny Cox. Granny Cox said it's not about you two, but it's going to be harder she for the kids. She said, I don't care who you marry or who you're with as long as they treat you right. Just don't have any children with him, she said. And I was like, Granny, why? You know, why would you say that? And she was like, because do you know how hard life is going to be on those kids? Yeah. They're going to be made fun of. You know, they're going to be picked on. They're, you know, all this stuff. Don't have kids. That's what she told By me. both races. Now, is that true? Would you say it's true? Yes, to a certain extent. I'm, I'm sure it is, depending on who you run into. But Because it, to me, it's shocking that even today, it's still as rampant as it's always been. It's like it's never going to change. How do we change this? Like, how do you, how do you change the narrative, man, to, to where... People can be with whoever they want to be with, and it enough of this madness. More of this. Yeah. Actually, this helps a lot. But yeah. a, a lot of people are, are scared to actually do this, though. Right. Because uh, what am I, it's almost like they think it's got to turn to a uh, real altercation. It's going to get physical. But if more people could sit down in a situation like this and discuss it calmly, civilly— it would help a lot. Sure. I mean, I look, I'm not going to get into a physical altercation with anybody. <laughs> like, for me, like, the most physical I'm going to get is sitting on my couch eating 
ice cream. You'd probably like get tied up in that vest if you tried. <laughs> <laughs> this vest uh, has 42 pockets in it, designed by Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, how cool is that, huh? I, always a different vest. But yeah, I mean, that's that for me, that's what that's one of the things that I wanted to tackle, you know, is Christianity is not supposed to perpetuate hate, but they have done so. It's happened that way. And now being a Christian and seeing that, I've actually, you know, been shown a lot of hate, you know, by people even in the, my own church, you know, the fold just, it, it gives a bad taste in the mouth of anyone. And that is not what Christ teaches. He never taught hate. He taught the truth. People that were disenfranchised in this world, he was their advocate. He was there to, you know, he loved the quote-unquote sinners, the prostitutes, you know. He went to the fishermen. He didn't go to the religious of the time. In fact, he went after the religious because they were they had forgotten about, you know, love and charity and help. They were just so busy being lawful and good and sitting at the best tables. And, you know, that's not that's not what Jesus would. So when it comes to racism, when I think about the KKK, and then I remember the birth of a nation and then the church. By the way, I also learned this, the burning cross. Do you know where that actually came from? Is it from a birth of a nation? Yes. Yeah. It okay. was it was on the nineteen fifteen film, the silent film, The Birth of a Nation. And the only reason why is because the director and the producer, DW Griffith, said it was good for cinema. Really? And so it's art imitating life. That it never happened imita- before. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry, life art. imitating art. Isn't that crazy? That's fascinating. I always thought it was just something that, oh, we're just gonna, you know, copy what was going on in life. Nope. He created it and from there on out the KKK that's, adopted it. Oh man, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the preacher who brought it back, you know, in the thirties, he he had stated that the reason why they burned the cross is because of Christ and his light and all that. It wasn't. It was it was just there was no meaning behind it initially. It was just it was cinematic. Good cin- mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was good, cinematic. It's good movie stuff, wow. man. <laughs> yeah. Had no idea. So anyway. Well, what I want to do now is I just want to do this like really quick, and you know what I mean by quick. Yeah. <laughs> Two and a half hours. No, but uh, I'm going to go through the history. I, I wanted to to learn a little bit more about where this started, and we're going to get to the Bible here in a second, but I want to talk about America. Um, in There is an article written by E.R. Ship, and it was uh, printed in the USA Today on February 9th, 2019. By the way, do you know what happened 401 years ago today? No. The Mayflower arrived. Oh, really? Yeah, we we, we recorded a Thanksgiving episode, but we haven't released it yet. But um, yeah, this was it was 401 years ago. It was uh, November 11th. Wow, right in time for the winter. Good job, guys. I know. Remember we talked about how cold so it was. So smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, let's go over there when it's like crazy, crazy cold. Right as everything's dying, we're going to show up. I bet you it was cheaper. The investors were probably trying to make it cheaper. They gave them the speed well that kept you know leaking. and. Well, it might be one of those things. If you're not super familiar with the weather, weather patterns and you look at a map of uh, the, what is it, the longitude yep. of England – and compare that to the longitude of even Boston, it looks like you've gone quite a bit south, even yes. though it's colder in Boston than it is in England, just because of the way the uh, the the current of the uh, Atlantic goes. Right. So you could you might be able to just look at that map and have lived in England or even Spain or something and be like, oh, it's just going to be like winters in Spain. Yeah, no and problem. 
Yeah, yeah it really was, and it was brutal. 50 of them died. All right, so I'm going to read this article. The article is titled, 1619, 400 years ago, a ship arrived in Virginia bearing human cargo. After having been kidnapped from their villages in what is present-day Angola, forced onto a Portuguese slave ship bound for what Europeans called the New World and stolen from that ship by English pirates in a confrontation off the coast of Mexico, some 20 and odd Negroes landed at Point Comfort in 1619 in the English settlement that would become Virginia. Their arrival was duly noted by the colony, a secretary, oh, by the colony's secretary, John Rolfe, famous as the widower of the Native American woman called Pocahontas. The harrowing journey that began with about 350 Africans on board the San Juan Batista was one of terror, hunger, and death even before the encounter with the pirates. About half of the Africans who boarded the Portuguese ship died. When the San Juan Batista docked near what is now Vera Cruz, Mexico, on August 30th, 1619, there were 147 Africans on board. Fifty had been taken by those English pirates aboard two ships, the White Lion and the Treasurer. When the White Lion arrived unheralded in Point Comfort, the captain's immediate task was to sell the Africans in exchange for food. <laughs> That's crazy. Few ships before or since have unloaded a more momentous cargo, historian and journalist Lerone Bennett wrote in his 1962 book, Before, uh, Before the Mayflower, A History of the Negro in America. It also needs to be noted that the subtitle was changed in later editions to the history of Black America. So to me, it's like 1619 and they you know, the slave trade hits America. Now, there were black men and women that actually came over uh, during the time, like, was it uh, Sir Walter Raleigh? There were, but they, I don't know that how it works, but I, there was no slavery. I think they believe this is about when it started, was in 1619. Really? That's yeah. A- so here we are 402 years later. It's funny because it's it's a thing you sort of don't think of as having a start in a way. Right. Least, and, and I know like everything had to start somewhere, right? Like it didn't exist before Europe in, or at least in this form, slavery didn't exist before Europeans arrived. So, of course, it had to begin at some point. But it's a thing I don't think of as having and just like being being endemic to the beginning. And there probably were people that came before that. Let's just be real. I mean, they were here in the 1500s. Sure, so. but that's like that, – that was on books. It was a – Right, this is recorded history. venture, yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah. you know, they're, they're saying they're going to sell Africans for food. They're selling people so they can so get food. Wild. That is a wild sentence. Isn't that crazy? That is a <laughs> that is a whole sentence. <laughs> what so was it? Wild. Yeah, it's like uh, George Carlin's things. I never thought I would say in a sentence. You know, like that. Uh, yeah, it's awful. <laughs> it's just yeah, it's numbing. But now the slave trade had actually been going on. Uh, slavery's been around since man was made. Yeah, I mean, it's, yes. it's always happened. Sure. And it is. There are biblical you know, slave stories and um, the Hebrews themselves, one of their biggest stories, they were slaves to the Egyptians, right? And then Moses comes and gets them out of slavery. So slavery is a pretty common thing in the Bible. Free labor. Yes. And it gets very weird in America. It's it's taken 
402 years just to get where we are, and we're still dealing with it. Yeah. That's scary. 400 years. You feel like, I mean, I know it's everywhere, but does it, maybe it's, this is my ignorance, but it feels like worse here than other first world nations. And I know it exists everywhere, but is that, is that, is it worse here or is that my ignorance in a general sense? As far, well, it really depends. I mean- it depends on the country that you're in and and who they are, uh, who the problem is with what race they have. Like, have you? Have right, you noticed Germany that? had a little problem with racism. <laughs> <laughs> you just a and we laugh. <laughs> it is true, yeah. you know. But yeah, with the Jewish race, I mean, he, you know, yeah. Germany or, had that or, problem. Or in whoever, really, I mean, yeah, they were, gypsies, yeah. homosexuals, oh, yeah. anybody, uh, Jehovah's that, Witnesses, anybody you could pick out of a crowd, probably. Yeah, anybody that you know. It, it's crazy to find out that Adolf Hitler actually was part of the Jewish race. Like he had a Jew in his, in his lineage. So who knew? But anyway, the, uh, I think in, I, I just, I'm speaking from an, as an American, you know, in a nation that we say was founded on Christian principles. That's what this podcast is about. Preconceived notions, things that we've mm-hmm. been taught and trying to unlearn them. So I want to unlearn this. Like I, I want to figure out because I still have racist tendencies inside me. I do. That's a scary thing to say in front of you. But what I mean is like this. I'm going to explain it, okay? And maybe you can help me out here. (laughs) Get out the shovel. (laughs) No, but seriously. I'm going to be honest. Let's just be honest, okay? Yeah, yeah, sure. No, I'm just picking on you. Right. So uh, let's say that I'm walking in downtown Hendersonville. And I go down um, one of the side alleys, and I'm going to cut down across because I want to go to Canuga. I'm on my way to Hot Dog World. And there's three pretty sizable black men. One of them got you know, like cornrows, and they're just walking. One of them's got like a wife beater on. He's got some muscles, you know. And I have this little well of fear pop up. Why? Why am I afraid? See? Yeah, Why am I afraid? Sure. Do you feel the same way when police officers roll up? Yes. Because I don't. Like, I don't get afraid when I see police officers. Even when I'm totally in the right and I know that I haven't done anything wrong. Right. But yet... I've never had a black man beat me in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have no you you have no personal I have yeah. nothing that has taught me to act like that. Why do I feel that way? I think maybe it's just is it the unknown? I don't feel that way when there's three muscular white guys that are walking down on this alleyway. I don't understand no, that's why true. this is like it's it, it's just it happens. It's inside and I, and I ask myself, you don't even know these people. In fact, they might have just came from a church service at First Baptist where they were playing basketball, and that's why they were wearing those shirts because, you know, they didn't want to sweat in their nice shirts or whatever. It could have been anything at all. And I don't know the first thing, but yet I'm afraid. Yeah, you have a reaction. You got to figure society, all movies, social media, they have just drilled it into us that— Black guys that look like that, yeah, they're probably going to come beat you down. They're going to rob you. Right. They probably sell drugs, and there's just nothing good about them. So, like, just like that quote said that we'll vilify them night after night on the evening news. Yeah. I grew up in the 80s during the war on drugs. Sure. And let's be honest, it was probably 99% black people getting thrown on the ground and cuffed and saying that they, you know, it was a big bust, and then they got well, all this yeah, crack. In, and 80s, all this, yeah, okay. it was crack. I was going to say crack. that. Inner cities and crack. And, and yeah. That's a wild story. We probably don't 
have entirely time to go into. But for anybody that doesn't know, the government was selling crack in urban neighborhoods in order to make obscene amounts of money to finance war against the Contras. That's a real thing that our government did on purpose oh, to take black to the- neighborhoods in order to fund wars in, you know, in I'll the take East. it to the next level. They got a twofold blessing out of it because what they were doing was they were selling it and making this money to the black neighbors, but then they were arresting the people that were dealing it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it to yeah, lower yeah. the crime rate, to boost the numbers so that they could vote it in, so they could continue this perpetual you exactly. know, control. Because by doing that, you're you're taking the black father out of the home. Right. Okay, so now you got a young black man growing up without a father. He goes out and he sees the drug dealer outside. He's the one that everybody respects. He's sure. the one with the flashy car and all the money and everything. So instead of that kid wanting to grow up to be a lawyer, he wants to be like that drug dealer now. Sure. Because he gets all the respect. So now you've got that loop going right back around again. Sure. He'll be arrested and put into the system. He won't be there for his son. And it's it's like a revolving door. The it just keeps cycle, going. Yeah. Right. And I can say this. I feel like anything I say is going to be racist, so just everybody forgive me now. <laughs> I'm just saying it. I'm just talking out loud here. So, AJ, I watch you work your ass off. I mean, you work, I mean, six, seven days a week. You never stop. And I also see, uh, Joan, how much effort you put into the children with their education, with their clothing, with their just their life every day. Like, you both do so constantly working to for your family going through all the struggles and they are the most respectful kids that I've ever met. Well, thank you. They That's are. Nice. <laughs> and that shows so you have you have a father who is present, a father who is actually and let's be real. I don't know. You may not even be getting paid what you should be getting paid. Who knows? And that could be because of the color of your skin. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just saying, but he works and works and works to provide and so now and now we have these respectful children that are being educated that are, you know, and you guys have a lot of things to deal with. Oh, it's constant. 24 Always hours. Yeah. <laughs> Always something. So you mix the interracial relationship and then you the biracial children, and then you take all of society and all the things that it's teaching. I mean, it's a mess. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's just, it seems like it would be, but yet you make it work. Who was it? Xavier, when he was in the fifth grade. His fifth grade teacher told him that uh, slavery wasn't real, that it was all made Holy up. Holy, are you serious? <laughs> a teacher told that him is that it was not real, wild. that it was something that, that they made up just to make it interesting in the history books. I am It aghast. floored me. It floored me when he came home and said that. You know, and, you know, we've been fortunate in this area that they really haven't had to deal with a lot of racism as far as, you know, cops and, you know, yeah. all the stuff that's going on now. Um, yeah, I'm not you, saying it can't happen here. I'm just saying so far we we haven't had to deal with that, especially with Xavier. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in Greensboro now, you know, at NCA&T. Right. Scared me to death to send him there because it's such a bigger place. And it's a predominantly black. It's um, an HBCU. Yeah, it's yeah. a predominantly black college that he goes to. So... I don't know. I think he was a little nervous about going, too, because, you know, he went to Hendersonville. Hendersonville's pretty diverse. Mm-hmm. So um, it have scared you, me to send him there. Have you noticed the change there. in his behavior at all since he has been to a predominantly black school versus what being raised here? I mean, now, of course, he is maturing at the same time. So 
there is that, you know, he's, he's on his own. Have you noticed any kind of difference? Like, Oh yeah. 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 In what way? He's definitely, he's growing up and he's, he's learning to really form his own opinion about a lot of things. Yeah. Not just, Oh, my dad says it this way. So this is what I believe. No, he's learned to form his own opinion about things. Tis the age. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's a lot to do with it too. But he did make a comment the first time he came home. He's in his second year, right? So the first the first year, um, you know, he spent a lot of time with us. And I don't know. Me and his mother are different. We parent different. We have different parenting styles. And sure. I'm not saying that's because of race or just personality or what, but he did come home and he said that he uh, realized being there around all of his new friends when they share stories about how they were raised, how their, you know, mothers handled certain situations or how they were talked to or whatever. And he he thought it was just his mom. And he realized that he was like, it must be black moms, you know, mm-hmm. this is how they raise their children. This is the things they say to them. This is how they punish them compared to me. Right. You know, I don't. I don't parent you just the take same your way. Candy away. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, I go buy them and hide it behind the thing. Don't let your dad see this. You know. But yeah, there's. Um, that's a big one to me, and I didn't know how to feel about that. Right. You know, I didn't know whether I should be offended. I get really offended when somebody. <laughs> says something about my parenting because yeah, you're like, am I am I doing something wrong? Wait, yeah, what's going on here? You know, I get I get totally offended if somebody says something about my parenting. It really offends me bad because I feel like I do more than a lot. You know what I'm saying? I do as much as I can, and I put myself out so that my children have. You're definitely a very involved parent, and I, that is for sure. Yeah, and I I just feel like. You know, if somebody says something. So I didn't know how to deal with that comment with him at first. You know, I was like, are you saying that I'm not a good parent? You know, that's totally not what he was saying. But at first, I didn't know how to take that. But that's the one thing that that he realized was different, that that it wasn't just his mom, but it was the same with his friends that he's made there, too, because he didn't have a lot of black friends here, to be honest. More of his friends here that he played ball with and that he hung out with were white you know, so he's used. He was more used to white parents being around white so moms or would whatever. Would you say that? Would AJ? Would you say that your mom raised you kind of similar as to where other black moms would raise their sons? Oh yes, definitely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So it's cultural. Yes, it's definitely a culture thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I don't. That's wild. I'm interested to know what those differences. Me too. Are. Like I really want to know, but. Well, he says I baby the kids too much. I'm too soft. I baby them. And black mothers are harder on their kids, and they're they're not as—I'm a hover. I'm a helicopter mom. I hover. You know, I'm like, oh, don't get hurt. Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. Don't, you know, and, you know, Joyce is like, boy— you're going to get out there and crack your head open, you know? And I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. Come here. You know, I'm I'm just. <laughs> I said, do not fall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's always, her her saying is always, uh, the hospital's closed. So <laughs> if you bust your head open, the hospital's closed. I'm not taking you to the hospital, you know? But I'm one of those, 
I wonder hover parents. I wonder if it has to do with they are actually preparing these young men for That's the society they're growing into. Exactly. Are you going to say that? Exactly yeah. yeah. That's what it comes down to. Because let's face it, it's it's harsh for a black man, especially yeah. a black man in America. So for me, as ra- raising one, I'm trying to show him that not everybody's going to give you that hand to help you up. Nine times out of ten, they're probably going to try and step on you to get over top of where you are right now. So, yes, I tend to be a little more harsh with them. Can I say a little more real? Yeah. If you know what I mean? Like, just I'm trying to show them what the world is going to be and how the world looks at them. So, yeah, I parent a little more, actually a lot more harsh than she does. So, because the society that we live in, you have to raise your son in a way that you maybe wouldn't if it wasn't because of the society? Definitely. You would raise him more like the way that Joan would, right? But you know what's real. Now, here's the weird part. That's a part of systemic, of, of the system, right? So that perpetuates it too, just like what I do with my children perpetuates whatever is going on. So I feel like, do you, are you following what I'm saying, Andy? Yeah, you, you, you don't want to set up expectations that are self-fulfilling. That are self-fulfilling. That's, and I'm not saying that's happening, but I'm saying that's what you're saying. Like, but I would, yeah. I would say that the culture itself, it's the cart before the horse, the chicken before the egg kind of thing. Because of everything that happened with slavery, because of the Jim Crow laws, because of the war on drugs, because of all of the incarcerations, mass incarcerations, huge. Um, uh, does anybody remember super predators, the word super predators? Yes. Vaguely, yes. <laughs> I mean, super predators, they were seen as animals. It's almost like Birth of a Nation. When you saw a black man in that movie, he was literally like a beast. And then you've got like Hillary Rodham Clinton, who is a Democrat, who is talking about these super predators, you know, and it's always aimed Wild. towards the black people. No, totally. It was, it was implied. So it's, yeah, it's always implied. They don't necessarily say it, but it's implied. And that's what we see on news. And so we, like for me, I see all of these bad guys, and they're mainly black that are getting tackled and put out. You know, you watch cops, very rarely if it's a white man, hey man, he's just getting hammered drunk, you know, and he's not a threat, you know, but uh, he's just, his wife beat him up and put a telephone cord around his neck, and so she was going to get arrested that night. I don't know if you saw that episode, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> he beat the snot, the, the woman beat the snot out of the, out of the husband and wrapped the phone cord around his neck. I don't know how I got on that subject. But anyway, but talking about cops and watching things on TV, you know. Well, when so, you when you talk about if you're walking down the alley and you see the three black guys coming at you, is that when you were younger, or are you saying that you still feel that I'm way? I'm saying now? it now, so you still do now. Yeah, no, I don't. You won't see it on my face. I will just go on with my life because I force myself inside. I say, "You don't know them. Stop doing that." But it's naturally happening inside of me, so I don't. I would never respond. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, so if I say a, that I'm still racist, I'm being honest. I don't want this. There's an intellectual level where you understand that this is bullshit, but you're just like, I just, but that's a secondary response to yeah. something chemical and that, that you don't necessarily have fight full or control flight, over. Fight or flight. Yeah. It's something that's been ingrained inside me. It's still there. I don't understand why it's there. I recognize it. I call it out just like sin, you know? Oh, that woman looks hot. I'm not going to run over there and try to rape her. You know what I mean? Like, of course, rape's not my thing, but I'm not, not going to know. But I'm not going to run over and like try to woo this. I'm married. I'm happily married. I'm not going to go try to talk to a woman. Or, you see what I mean? So I like understand my sin. It's like something that just happens. 
Um, but with this, like, it actually hurts my heart because I'm like, and can you imagine, like, if you could actually just go through life and just trust, but it you can't. But you have to, like, I need two things I want to say about that. First of all, you, you're walking down the street and you see three black guys walking at you and it makes you feel like that. But then in your head, you need to put yourself in his shoes and... You know, he walks into work, <laughs> and he's the only black guy there. How do you how do you think he feels when he walks in? Right, there? there's got to be a I lot mean, of times where he oh, sees I'm people not, and he's like, I would mm. never say. I, I I can only imagine like that's what I'm saying about whenever I when I look at those three gentlemen and I'm like, I don't know them. They could have just come from that basketball court over there, exactly. and they're just walking. They're going to go get a chocolate milkshake like I am. Yeah. But they look a lot better because they play basketball, and I'm sitting around eating. You know, see, that, that has never bothered me. I can, I can drive down Woodcock right now. I could drive down anywhere, 7th Avenue, any predominantly black neighborhood. I'm not going to lock my doors. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, that doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't scare me. It doesn't bother me. But I went looking for some property for mom one day. Uh oh! Did you go to a out, Redneckville? Went out in Edneyville. <laughs> I'm scared of those places too. It though, yeah. is this <laughs> road that looked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it looked like something off a wrong turn. I turned down this this driveway and it's just eerie trees, you know, all this stuff. And then I get into a clearing and it tells me to go, you know, off to the right. And all of a sudden, there's rebel flags in every window mm-hmm. of every house there. And then there's big. Pieces of plywood that says "Keep out, or you will be shot." Oh yeah, that that's, scared me to death. And I'm like, I gotta get out of here. Intimidating. I, I told my yeah. mom, I said, "I'm sorry, but nope, I'm not going any further in this." That terrified me. But I can go in a black neighborhood, or you know, whatever, and it doesn't bother me. But rebel flags, all like that, and then signs and all that stuff, that scares me. Well, they're being a lot declarative with it. Yeah. I mean. That's why those but flags I'm white. are up. You would think I could go in there, and they're not going to bother me, right? Well, but it scares know. me. You still don't. You still don't. <laughs> you still don't really know. Know. exactly. So yeah. how do right. I how do I fix that? How do I fix that in me? Oh Lord, who knows? Because I mean, like I mean, you heard that little snippet. Like I'm from that all white town, and I say that at a certain point when I was a uh, teenager, uh, like the only well, there were two black families, but one I never knew. I was never near them because uh, they were adults. They had jobs. I was a kid. I literally never interacted with them. I just, I only heard that they existed. And the only other black family that had teenage children moved in next door to me uh, when I was a teenager. We were friends with all of them. There was, uh, so I was friends with them for years, but it was like, that was my exposure. Where was I going with this story? Well, I had to change. (laughs) Oh, so I think, I think I thank that for like what I do have as far as like not being totally weird. Uh, but still it's just, I think it just takes forever. I think it takes forever. It's like, I just, in my thirties, I discovered that like, there's this way that well-intentioned white people have of interacting with black people where it's the way you treat a dog. It's not the way you treat a human. You like dogs. You want to be friends with a dog, but you walk up to a gu- to a dog with your guard up. Yes. 
well, many a well-intentioned white person is doing that to black people. They're not treating them like a full human, no matter how much they want to. Would They're you agree still with that? approaching yes, totally. them like a dog. Right. See, I've had to actually, believe it or not, do that myself. Where I was raised, I moved here from Fort Valley, Georgia. And literally, there still to this day, there is a place everybody calls the white folk section, okay. which is just across the tracks. When I lived there, as a black person, if you walked on Main Street, you didn't even look a white person in the eyes. Mm -hmm. And then we moved here in 88, I think it was. Yeah, 88. And I was going to Hendersonville School here in town. But then after about a year... We moved to Edneyville. My very first day Huge. at Edneyville, before I could step foot off the bus, I was called the N-word at least 10 times. Uh, really? Well, it's just that little bit of moving out of a yeah. slightly denser area. Back then, every time I heard it, oh, man, it, we, were going, we were throwing blows. Right. I was fighting about it. And it got to a point to where it was happening so much that— they couldn't give me detention anymore. They didn't want to suspend me for it. When, like I said, I was just, I felt like I was just defending myself. Right. So it became, oh, you get to stay after school for 30 minutes and help the janitor clean the school. And after about two years of it, I looked at myself and I'm like, why does that word piss you off so bad? Why do you have to get physical every time you hear that word? Like, I started to think myself, is this, this is probably making me just as ignorant as they are. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to, like we were talking, I kind of had to like wean myself off of that, like try and take a little bit of the sting of that word out. And it just happened to become like, even still this day, my two best friends are white guys. Yeah. I've known them since we were in fourth grade. We don't talk as much as we used to. But I had to learn to get past that's that. That's true for any race. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you just grow so apart. Right before I came here, I was talking to a buddy, a white friend at work. And uh, what was said, we were talking about how you said, you, if you walk into a room full of black guys, why does that make you nervous? He was like, well, I would get nervous, but why does that make me racist? Yeah. And I can't get him to understand that I'm not saying you're running around burning crosses and flying the flags and, you know, screaming N word all the time. But what you are doing is just as bad. Yeah. Or look at me like, oh, well, you're not your typical black guy. Yeah. I, I always wanted to make a film where the, the black race were. The powerful race. Oh, that's uh oh god, that's Does it crappy. exist? Yeah. What is it? It's called Cracker. Okay. I've seen it's it. It's actually out. It was they had it up on Prime for a little it while, actually but I think so, it got So it was down. it shows that the blacks were in power and that the white were slaves. I want to yeah. say it was originally produced by HBO yes. a while ago. Yeah, yes, it was. I've seen it. And that's exactly it's a I'm gonna yeah, watch a, it. It's yeah, a, I, a racial I've a always racial wondered swap. like yeah. how would it, what would it look like, you know, to to reverse, you know reverse that race and to see how, you know, what would, how would, what, you know, how would we act? You know, are we going to act the same or is it going to be a little bit different? You know, really curious. Watching it, as I sit here as a black man, I will not lie to you. As watching it, it made me uncomfortable. Really? Like seriously sick to my stomach, uncomfortable yeah. to watch it. Really? Yeah. But I feel the same way when I watch Roots as well. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I love that Bill Burr bit about Roots. Have you ever heard of yes. him? 
I don't remember the bit, but I've probably yeah, heard he it. Just, he talks about like how many, <laughs> how many more movies are going to be made, you know, about, you know, white power and how strong we are, you know, and, and these disenfranchised black people. He's like, now they have like a, a movie about the all black swimming team, you know, and it's like, are we, are we down to that now? Like it used to be like football and then it was like basketball. Now it's the swim team. It's, it's all like, been made. They've got that yeah. racist white guy over in the corner. Get out of the pool. You know, like. <laughs> What's the, the, yeah, the, what, the the sport that the Canadians do with the curling, curling, curling. yes, <laughs> <laughs> an all black curling team. Yeah, I mean, just <laughs> uh, that the Canadians do. That's also funny, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I'm racist towards Canadians too. Actually, actually, I hate the French. I've only met one Frenchman that or French woman that I actually like, but I am not a fan of the French people. They're legitimately kind of rude, dude. When I was over there, <laughs> they were just. Oh, they were jerks. But anyway, <laughs> that's another story. We'll, we'll talk about hating them later. All right. Um, well, this is good. I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm like you know. I like where we're going with this. I mean, I feel like you no, know, like like the way Andy just said it. You know, well-intentioned white people. Look, do you know? Do you feel like these well-intentioned white people are looking at you like a dog? Like, are you aware What's, of it? Yes, you yes. are aware of yes. it. Yes. So they're giving off that vibe. Yeah. I well, I learned I figured that out about myself, but I see it right everywhere. Mm -hmm. Since yeah. I figured it out, you just like you want to be friends, but there's the difference between how you approach a dog and how you approach a human. And you approach a dog like it might bite you. Right. You don't approach another fucking human that way. Right. And that's <laughs> the difference. And it's people that really want to be on the good side of things are mm -hmm. they do this because they don't know it's like saying well, those guys that say you know i'm not racist i have black friends that, yeah, that's so, so cliche classic. it's so and cliche so, <laughs> well so like he gets so mad because like he said a while ago people are always telling him well you're not the typical black man yeah. you don't you don't oh, act he acts more white you so don't that act makes black. Him you're not the typical black man that makes him i think more mad for somebody to say that to him than it would be if they called him the N-word. You know, right. he's like, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> it took me a while to, to it took me a while to figure out why black people who use the N-word have the right to use it. And I think it's a good thing, actually. I finally figured out they took the power back. They took the power out of that word and they took the word back. And now they use it, you know, and so you like older white people are be like, oh, they call it to themselves, you know, they call each other that. They shouldn't. They took the power out of the word, you know? And so, like you said, you had to let it quit stinging you. So when they took that away, it stopped stinging you. However, if a white man says it, that sting could still yeah, oh, it's ugly does. head, right? Mm -hmm. Totally does. I'm saying we don't even allow that word in our house. Right. We try not to use it. And I got a very funny story about that. Back when Phineas was going to have his, sur his brain surgery, we actually took the rest of the kids down south to Georgia, where I'm from, and we left them with my aunt there. And we stayed the first day, and they go outside the first time to play. Okay, now, it's inward this, inward that. They hear the kids there talking to each other, and every every time they hear it, they're running in the house. He just called him the inward. He just called him the inward. <laughs> and I'm like, that's cool, but don't you say it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we do. But we don't. We don't use that word in the house. They'll play video games every now and then, and you'll hear them slip up and say it. Right? Oh, and they'll that, say it if they don't think we can hear, hear them yeah. say that. 
<laughs> they're not supposed to. That's true about any bad it. word. Yeah. We're not allowed to say that in front but of our parents. it is a bad word. It's a bad word. It's not supposed to be allowed, but it, like you said, you, you can hear them. They, they, they think that the walls are just, you can't hear anything there. So <laughs> if you hear them say it here and there. But they have been having trouble here lately. The little ones at where they go to school sure, really. have been having trouble with a lot of um, people calling them that. Really? And I'm thinking, at first it was like, oh, well, all the Hispanic kids think because they're brown that they can call us that and it's okay. But it's not okay. Right. And and then there was a couple of, of white kids who uh, Gianni's had trouble with here lately that keep calling him that. I mean, Gianni's hard to to anger or you know, he kind of just laughs things off a lot, you know. Sure. But for him to come to me and say, look, you know, these kids are calling me this and, it, you know, it, it hasn't stopped. It's been going on for a while. It's really bothering me. He wanted me to call the school, mm-hmm. you know. Um, fortunately, AJ knew the parents or the grandparents of the children and and he handled it. But it's it's just it's crazy how much it's going on in middle school. I mean, we're talking about 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds. Sure. And why now? Like, why all of a sudden is this? I just heard that these kids in middle school are having sex. Yeah. Oh, sex <laughs> in middle school? And you know, at this particular school, there's a nature trail. Really? And they go in the nature trail. Good grief. And they're doing it. And they're in their, it's ridiculous what's happening in middle school now. I mean, it's, things are starting so much earlier than when we were <laughs> that age as far as everything. I do think that just depends on where you were raised. Yeah, because there's, I mean, I know, I know kids that did things in middle school, like not a lot. I'm talking about full on sex, man. I'm not talking about (laughs) just like the normal things that I did when I was in middle school. That's what I'm Mm -hmm. talking about too. Uh, So I think I don't think that's that much different. I think it's just circumstantial. I think you either get lucky or you kind of get unlucky. It's just Mm -hmm. placement. (laughs) Sure. Uh, and that's accidental, mostly. Well, so after I'm going to get back into this. So, so after the um, these Africans are, and they are literally from Angola, and so the Africans are here. You know, in the in this slavery, the slave trade continues and continues and continues. We all know that the Civil War. Um, it, although the Emancipation Proclamation and the abolition uh, of the abolishing of slavery happened because of the Civil War. It wasn't the reason for the Civil War. Okay, so that's a falsehood that was taught in American history class. That is categorically untrue and was taught to people our age and older. That what? That that trade was the real reason for the Civil War. So that's it not was true? Not. Oh. No, that's not true. So that it was is about a slavery. Lie we learned in school. Okay, well then let me ask you this question because I agree with you. I'm going to go with you on that. But let me ask you this. So if all of these black people who were enslaved by these Southern plantation owners, okay? If they are freed and then they have no economy, what have they done for them? Well, that's kind of what happened, right? Yes, but that's my point. If, if in fact, they weren't trying to, to destroy the economy, because that's what they did, and that's because there were French and Spanish there, the French was on the south, and the Spanish was on the 
on the top or whatever on the north. But wh- whichever way that was, I can't even remember. And I hate the French, so I could care less. But in, in reality here, if they freed the slaves, okay, guess what? You're free. Most of those, a, a lot of what happened is people just worked for their former owners for basically slave wages. Ba- yeah. You want to know what actually happened? The term chain gang became something. Because what happened was now they became criminal. And they, they would arrest them for vagrancy, loitering, uh-huh. for whatever. Then they would put chains on them, put striped suits on them, and make them go out there and build railroads, build roads, cut down trees, log. Hmm. Like That's interesting. It was legalized That's where that slavery came from. Yeah, they just figured using, out a way around it. Yeah, they became sure. the chain gang. And look at the pictures of the chain gang. And by the way, the song that was sang by a black man. I mean, it was the working on the chain gang, yeah. right? Oh, don't you know? Right. Yes. <laughs> now, just so you know, you you look at that. So, in my opinion, okay, fine. They were free. That was a it was a great thing, sure. But they gave them nothing. Now there were people that did sharecropping. Oh yeah, I mean that's I mean that gets you all the way up to the civil rights movement of of the what the fifties, and then forty it's acres like, and a yeah. mule. Wasn't that something that was that was made? That's, is that really? Is that from that time? That was from the Civil War. Mm-hmm. When oh, okay. they were freed, there was promised forty acres and a mule. Yeah, yeah. Did they, did they give them land next to the Indians? Yeah. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all the way around the reservations. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and blankets too. wherever. Yeah, the same blankets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Regardless. Yeah, and and you're right. We were taught. Oh, it wasn't just about slavery. It was about the economy, but. It, it makes sense to me because economically they were destroyed. And then that's when criminal came into the, the mix, legalized I mean, Economics slavery. is always at play, but it was taught to people our age and older that it was uh, – that economics was the main reason in slavery was a secondary consideration, be, sort of a because we're here thing. Sure. And actually that's inverted. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's inverted. Yeah, I can see that. And so <clears throat> now let's imagine you, you have these – these slaveholders and what here's what they did to control them. They actually used the Bible, which is kind of weird. They used the Bible to perpetuate slavery because they said slavery was in the Bible and it was a legal thing and it was okay. And you don't have anything. Sure. So, so was murder and rape. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, a lot of stuff in the Bible. Yeah. Like I said, rape's not my thing, but as far as the, <laughs> as far as this, uh, they would use the Bible and there's, listen to this. It says, uh, early on, slaveholders were not concerned with the spiritual well-being of Africans, but few had qualms about using Christianity to justify slavery. Some theologians said it was providence that had brought Africans to America as slaves since their enslavement would allow them to encounter the Christian message, and thus their eternal souls would be saved said Mark Nola, historian of American Christianity. And I put in like caps, really? Like for yeah. real? Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Providence, thank the Lord God made you a slave so that you could get saved. I mean, that pretty much that's what they're saying. Some preachers encourage slave owners to allow their slaves to attend worship services, though only in separate gatherings led by white pro-slavery preachers. They had to be seated in the back or the balcony of a segregated church. Those men of God argued that the sermons on the injunction in Ephesians and Colossians, quote, slaves obey your earthly master, would promote docility among enslaved workers, just basically to keep them under control. At Washington's Museum of the Bible displays a slave Bible, which was published in 1807, which removed portions of scripture, including the Exodus story, that could inspire rebellious thinking. 
Some ministers promoted the idea that Africans were the descendants of Ham. Have you ever heard of this? Yes. What? The descendants of Ham. So do you oh, remember Ham me? is a person. Yeah. Okay. yeah. The descendants of, <laughs> I was very confused. Descendants of a very smoked, glazed Ham. No, but so Ham is one of the sons of Noah. And I've talked about this in the past. Ham was the one that looked at Noah when he was naked. Do you remember when I told you, like, after the flood, Noah gets off, he builds a vineyard, and he gets hammered drunk. Remember, he gets on wine. Yeah. And then what happens is he gets naked, he passes out. And so he has oh, yeah. three sons, and two of them, Shem and Japheth, or Jephet, however you say it, turn around backwards and don't look at him, and they bring a, you know, like a cover to cover him up. But Ham looked at him. Okay, and so oh when God. Noah finds out that Ham sees him, he he says, "Cursed is your son." Now here's the thing: they always say the curse of Ham, but actually he says, "Cursed is your son, Canaan." And so that's why they believe that Canaanites are inferior; They're, they will always be servants. So I'm going to read that part of scripture just so that you can uh, see this. But basically, it said some ministers promoted the idea that Africans were the descendants of Ham, cursed in the book of Genesis, and thus their enslavement was fitting. So here it is in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18 through 27. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine, became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem, Shem and Japheth, let's say Japheth, Japheth, I don't know, took a <laughs> garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So, this is where they—so, from that, they say— that's where black came from because ham supposedly if you translate it means dark which actually is it it's not it's actually incorrect <laughs> that's not true and it wasn't even a curse on ham it was a curse on Canaan anyway so it's just a bunch of crap but they've been talking about this for 2000 years did you know that no <laughs> they have talked about this for 2000 years in middle in the mid uh, the Middle Ages, even rabbis talked about this, saying that they believe that Ham and Canaan, that Ham had went into Africa, and that's where the blacks came from and all that. It's all garbage. None of it's real. But yet they taught that, and that's what they taught the slaves. Well, that's funny. I mean, I mean it's not funny, but you know what I mean. It's, oh, it's hilarious. It's fascinating. No, it's not hilarious. See, I get a whole different interpretation of that. Do you? He's supposed to be the servant of servants, correct? Right. So, is he saying that he should be the servant of God's servants? Yeah, pretty much. That's what I'm taking from yeah. that. Yeah. Which is how, and they're using that as saying, we're God's servants, you're going to come, you're servants for us, and so this is, it's just God. This yeah. is the way the Bible is, right? Yeah. So... 
basically they they take this message that they have and they change they even change the bibles that they give to the slaves so that they don't read things that you know could oh, cause yeah, them to be rebellious that's right. they did they did give them like selectively edited bibles so yeah. they sure did um and in the old testament slavery was understood martin luther king used um the same story from Exodus where Moses is on the mountaintop and he looks at the promised land. He's talking about Moses and he's he's really saying it from himself. You know, like, hey, I'm seeing the promised land. I may not make it. I mean, I get there with you. Yep. But so he's using the scriptures to talk about it. And the the very thing that they that the slaveholders were using to hold down the slaves ends up being the very thing that helped their get their freedom. It really did. Like it it led them to to overcome it, so it's it's good and bad. It's but if anybody understood the Christian message at its core, which is to love one another and to sacrifice for others and to give, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Like all of those things that um, hippie Jesus, like Andy, likes you know teaches. <laughs> what if they would follow that code of ethics, that life would be much better. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I was going to read, uh, this is from the Old Testament, Exodus 21, 1 through 11. This is the laws about slaves in the Bible. Now, these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. So if you bought a slave, he could only be a slave for six years, and then he was to be set free. If he comes in single meaning unmarried, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out alone. Right? Like, that's crazy. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. That's that's wild? That's Bible rules about slavery. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has broken faith with her. If he designates for his son, her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights." And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. So this is something else that they would use for like the justification of slavery. See, it says right here in the Bible, I gave you a wife when you came in here. You gave me more kids, which are basically just more workers. You you can go, but they can't. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what man's going to walk away from that? Nobody. No man. Yeah. Not at all. All right. So you know how we've talked about the destruction of the temple, uh, that it happened twice? Right, it happened during the, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied that the temple would be destroyed, and then in 583 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar II comes in, sacks Jerusalem, destroys the temple, carries the kids off to Babylon, and then that's where Daniel the prophet comes in and all that. All right, so Jeremiah, I learned something really cool today. I had no idea what the why there was judgment brought on them, but it has to do with slavery, and it's a misuse of slavery. Check this out, Jeremiah. Uh, let's see, 34, Jeremiah 34, and this is Jeremiah talking to the prophet King Zedekiah. 
Verse 6, Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah, in Jerusalem, when the army of the king of Babylon was fighting against Jerusalem and against all the cities of Judah that were left, Lachish and Azekah, for these were the only fortified cities of Judah that remained. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of liberty to them, that everyone should set free his Hebrew slaves, male and female, so that no one should enslave a Jew, his brother. And they obeyed. All the officials and all the people who had entered into the covenant that everyone would set free his slave, male or female, so that they would not be enslaved again. They obeyed and set them free. But afterward, they turned around and took back the male and female slaves they had set free and brought them into subjection as slaves. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord to God of Israel, I myself made a covenant with your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, saying, At the end of seven years, each of you must set free the fellow Hebrew who has been sold to you and has served you six years. You must set him free from your service. But your fathers did not listen to me or incline their ears to me. You recently repented and did what was right in my eyes by proclaiming liberty, each to his neighbor, and you made a covenant before me in the house that is called by my name. But then you turned around and profaned my name— when each of you took back his male and female slaves, whom you had set free according to their desire, and you brought them into subjection to be your slaves. Therefore, so here, it's so good, you know, so far so good. He said, I told you to set your slaves free, that there would be no Jewish slave. <clears throat> you did it, you repented, but then now you went back on it and you brought them back into slavery. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty. Everyone to his brother and to his neighbor, behold, I proclaim to you liberty to the sword, to pestilence, and to famine, declares the Lord. I will make you a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, and the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts, the officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, and I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and of the beasts of the earth. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, I will give into the hand of their enemies, and into the hand of those who seek their lives, into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which has withdrawn from you. Behold, I will command, declares the Lord, and will bring them back to the city, and they will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant all because they decided to bring slavery back. Isn't that crazy? I had no clue. I was like, wow. Like, I had no idea. Even though I've read it, like a million times, I never picked up one, I guess because we're just studying it. <clears throat> now, in the New Testament, by the time we get to the New Testament, anyone who becomes a believer in Jesus becomes free. Period. Now, there was slavery in that time. And there's actually a slave, the, there's a book called Philemon that Paul wrote, and it's about a slave who had gotten saved, and he was gone on this missionary journey. He had run away from his master, and Paul said, look, you're saved now, you need to go back to your master. And he knew who his master was, his name was Onesimus. However, he was free, like he was at liberty, yeah. but he was a believer in Jesus, and so Paul told him, go back and honor the commitment that you made. You know, and then he sent the letter to Philemon, uh, sent the letter to Onesimus to tell him, 
I'm sending your slave back to you, but you know, you know that he is free. You know, it's really cool. So if you ever want to read about a slave that becomes saved, who is free, but then he goes back to his master to honor his commitment because of him being a believer and being honest before God, he goes back. It's a crazy story. Yes. Isn't I've that nuts? Heard that. It yeah. seems like a wild choice to me. Yeah, I might read it just so you can hear the story. All right, so in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then... Brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father is like saying, Dada, in English. It's that the loving way of saying Papa. When we talk to God, sometimes, you know, we have these formal prayers. Oh, Lord God, when we, we call upon you and our prayer, yeah. right? <laughs> it, you can literally be like, Daddy. That, that, that intimate word that you would have for a father. It's like you... Um, uh, <laughs> Daddy? <laughs> Daddy! <laughs> But basically, if you, um, I heard a pastor talk about whenever he was in Israel, and he didn't really know what Abba meant, other than there was just a really bad disco band from the seventies. Close. But um, boom. So anyway, he saw a little girl running through the streets in, in Jerusalem after her father holding her hands up, saying "Abba, Abba," and that's what he's saying. He's like. You know, we don't have a spirit of slavery, but we have a spirit of liberty that was given as adoption, as sons to God. If we call on him, we have that. And we can call on him like that close father, you know? So maybe that's the answer, guys. We need to wrap this one up. This is a long episode. I would say, and I'm so glad that you guys came. I really am. But we solved racism. Yes. yes. Everybody <laughs> at the end of this episode... I want you to find the closest black man and just hug him out of the blue. <laughs> I promise you it will go well. Yeah. Yeah. No, obviously that's not true. But there's a weird way in which I envision that going well more often than not. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that that's true, but yeah, I mean, I it, it know it feels like that could go well a weird amount of times. So yeah. I think I think inside my heart. Just I don't I don't even want to have those terrible inclinations that just rise out of my own control. Uh, you know I I don't know if that'll ever change. I hope it does. I, I, I hate to bring this up, but they've done studies on infants will self-select for color, like people that are too young to have, and it's and it's because I don't know what is it like the unknown or something. Yeah, so there is a portion. So you're of, saying I'm an infant. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you have the emotional intelligence of an infant. No, I'm just <laughs> but there funny. is there is a portion 
of human nature that we have to be at war with in order to deal with this. It's oh, yeah, it's not, natural. Yeah. It's not so simple. It's it's I guess nobody was really suggesting it was simple, but it's even more complex than I think people we're understanding because you have to, it is an impulse in yourself that you will have to be at war with probably for the entirety of your life. Right. Uh, yeah. But I think you're a step ahead of the game simply because you know that you feel that way and there's something wrong. I, I yeah. think, yeah. That causes you to feel, that causes you to feel that way. So the, just the fact that you've noticed it and you are trying to change. Mm-hmm. That, you're asking how. Yeah. I'm asked, I asked the Lord to help. Like I, I want to be able to look at them. I want to be able to look at you the same way God looks at you. That's what I want. And that's true for any human being, you know? The atheist approves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's what this is all about, right? That's Me? what it's, yeah. <laughs> that's what Kidding. this show is all about. Anyway. So I was I, I I was armed with a ton of black jokes. No, I'm just kidding. Was, <laughs> <laughs> is there such a thing as a white joke? Do you guys ever tell white jokes? Uh oh, he's on the spot. Now. So I'm gonna I want to I'm gonna put you on the spot. I gotta ask just you get, this. Yeah, the big one. The big one that we have. I want to hear a good one. Yes, please. Is uh, white people when they get wet, they smell like wet dogs. <laughs> 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 it's true, man. I mean, it's funny because it's true. Oh no, we got one we do at work. You know, you ever watch that show? I think it's on True TV. It shows like guys taking dirt bikes down this two mile dang hill and jumping off, doing crazy stuff like that. Uh-huh. We sit and we watch it, and it's like, oh yeah, that's that white boy stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, I bet you that was a white boy. <laughs> And even the white guys at work do it, so it's just kind I've, of. A I've little, seen versions of that one a lot. Yeah. Like that's some, yeah, that's some shit only a white guy would do. Yes, yeah. Or, or the other one I've seen on uh, on different things is like the the how uh, adult white women are not afraid of anything. Yes, <laughs> that one's pretty funny. Like it'll be like a bear, and like some Karen is like shooing it out of her yard. <laughs> Yeah, like white women are not afraid of shit. You know? Yeah, you know what? the 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 funniest white joke that I think I've ever heard was Chris Rock when he said when he was talking about the difference between white people and black people. Yes. And he Pryor said was good for that line too. Yeah, he said if you hear about uh, somebody kicking a grandma down the stairs and taking her purse, that's totally a black guy. But if you hear about somebody cutting off somebody's toes and playing pool with it, yes. that's a white guy. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, well, thank you, AJ, and thank anytime, you, Joan, for coming anytime. and being honest. Yeah, I hope maybe I can have you back. We're going to be doing some other special episodes, not necessarily, and you know, and who knows? I mean, maybe we can, uh, if we learn some more things. You know, we didn't get into critical race theory. I wanted to talk about that, but that's like, dude, we could talk two to eight hours about critical oh, race theory. Yeah. Every you know? time that one comes up at work, that's a whole week long argument think, we have. I don't think people know what it is. They don't. I know I mean, the guys that I talk to about it, they don't really they don't understand it. it. No. no, they just think it's like making white people feel like shit. Yeah, that's exactly what my buddy at work <laughs> thinks. It's like, oh, it's just training everybody to hate white people no. and letting everybody know no. that white people are just bad. But it's no different than what the war on drugs was. So, you know, the war on drugs taught everybody to hate 
and be afraid of black people because they were super predators. So precisely, do- our argument is that that is exactly not what critical race theory is. About. Right? Critical. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It, it is. But educating children, I think that I am probably less uh, less of a racist because of what I learned in school. On, and when I was coming up, you know, we were we weren't allowed to be disrespectful to in, any race, and you know where we where I came up at, you know. So, of course, I think we only had two black people, maybe four black people in the whole school. But I, and I was friends with them, and I played sports with them, and I was friends with them. I was on the bus with them. Like I had, it was I had no issues whatsoever. Well, that's weird because I went to the same school you did, and in my day there was a lot. Yeah, you know because um, you just kind of get lucky. Really, like it's a time, it's a time and place thing. And lucky that they're there, or that they're not. No, lucky. Ah, I was just kidding. <laughs> Andy, I was putting you on the spot, bro. <laughs> I was just saying, it's 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 like one of those things. Like he was at the same place at a different time, surrounded by completely different people. Exactly. So it's just an accident of luck. Yeah. That whether you're, you know, if the racist had kids at the same time as your parents. Yeah. You're gonna have some more shit to deal with, right? Then if the people that accidentally had kids at the same time as your parents just don't happen to be as racist, it's gonna be a little easier, right? Well, there for was learning. I mean, it was a lot um, of kids from Brickton. Yeah, I think is what that mm-hmm. neighborhood across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a lot that were maybe, maybe some, there were like ten or some twelve. Some of them were though. older than me. Some of them were about my age, but they were actually the ones. Uh, there were two in particular a girl and a guy that lived out there that were my protectors on the bus. And I'm not talking about from other black people. I'm just saying, you know, back in the day when you yeah. when you first start um, middle school, you know what a pink belly is? Yes. Okay, that was the big thing. Yeah, I got a pink did. belly and a swirly in the same day. Oh, yeah. It, it was a big sure thing on the buses. Oh, you're, you're, you know, you're brand new to this school. And they had us all scared to death of that. But, um, but I had... Uh, People that protected me from yeah. So a pink belly is when they throw you on the ground, hold you down, yeah. pull your shirt up, and then smack your smack belly. Smack it until it's pink. Yeah. yeah. And a and swirly, you know what a swirly is? It's whenever yeah, you they the, they put your head in a toilet, toilet. and flush it. Yeah. <laughs> no, a swirly is uh, it's a like the ultimate indignity. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the That's, poo goes. <laughs> yeah. I never had that done. Never had any of it done. Well, thankfully, they, I've never had a swirly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, anyway, well, thanks. Thanks again. Thanks, AJ. Thanks, Joan, Andy. Um, and y- you guys just check us out next time on the Burrows of Berea. Hee haw. <laughs> I'll put Billy in. That's a Billy mode. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Andy, what are the chances you have a cough drop? Okay. What are the chances you have a cough drop here? Any? Zero. Water. Yeah. I got water. Okay. Heroin? <clears throat> Just a little. Not really enough to go around. <laughs> <laughs> so we're rolling? Yes, we are okay. rolling.